I'm glad to be uh, here once again. Enjoy my visits to you once or twice a year. I want to draw your attention to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 28, and the last words in verse 16. Isaiah, chapter 28, and the final words in verse 16. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, Isaiah is uh, writing to a certain constituency. He's writing to a certain people. It's not a promiscuous letter to the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Moabites and the Greeks and the Romans. He's speaking to God's people. He and Micah were the two prophets that God raised up in the southern kingdom after the division. Um, when Judah and Jerusalem and um, Benjamin remained there in the south, faithful to the Lord, and the ten northern tribes split away, and God even sent prophets to them, Amos and Hosea. They were all living together. The four men knew one another, prayed for one another. And uh, he calls the people that he is speaking to those who believe. You notice that? He that believeth, he personalizes it. Every, every individual, he, she, who believes. That's how he addresses them. We are believers. Everyone is a believer in something, and we are a certain category of believers today. And that belief has brought us together around the word of God and around the table. You know, um, there's a, a database of the Greek language. It's been in existence now about 40 years. And every, every piece of uh, classical Greek is on it. Plato and Aristotle and then the great dramatists and the poets and the comic writers. And then other pieces of Greek poetry and Greek business, every single piece of, of Greek is here. And then the New Testament Greek, common Greek, um, all of that is also on this database. And then they're discovering all the time in the sands of Egypt, prepared, preserved by um, the dryness of it, there are letters from... 2,000 years ago, in Greek, women writing to their husbands in the army and then business bills. And when they find it, then it finally ends up on this database and it's growing all the time. I, I don't have access to it. I'm not a scholar. But if you were a scholar, if you were writing commentaries on books of the Bible, then it would be advantageous for you to have access to this. Now, this word belief, then we all know something about it. The jailer asks, what must he do to be saved? And the great answer is believe. Believe upon or believe into. The Greek is um, pistuo epi or pistuo en. 
believing into someone. Now, if you got that phrase and you um, got your computer out and you typed in, in the Greek, pistuo enti, believing into, and put it in, it would search immediately like computers do with remarkable speed. It would go through all the, these pieces of Greek and then it would print out on a page every place where this phrase was found. And to your surprise, you would find that the piece of paper only contained New Testament references. In other words, this was a phrase invented by the apostles. John and Peter and Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and our Lord Jesus, invented by the Holy Spirit to explain very carefully to you the nature of saving belief. It is belief right into Jesus Christ. Let's use the comparison. Uh, you, you meet a, a man and this man asks you out, you talk together and you have a meal together and you're listening to him. And you can see certain things about him, that he's handsome and that he's smartly dressed, he has a nice car and a good job, talks well, he's educated, you can get those things. But you want more than that. If he's getting serious about you and he's going to ask you to marry him, then you want to find out about his inner values. You're watching all the time what he talks about, what excites him, what he laughs at, what he's moved by, what he has as his aims to do in life. How does he get on with his mother and father? How does he get on with your parents and with women, with money? Is he mean? Is he a depressive? Is he a happy man? Is he content? You want to believe right into him. It's not enough to have a superficial view of someone you're going, to, you're going to live with for the rest of your life, believing into. Now, the Greeks and the Romans, they be believed that their, their gods, their idols could help them, but there was no depth. They if they sacrificed to them and spoke to them and gave money to their priests and priestesses, then it all was well. It was like that. They appeased their anger when they did things that were unacceptable to their gods. But th there was nothing, there was no depth. There's a great depth in Jesus Christ. There's a Sermon on the Mount. There are four Gospels. There's a great discourse in the upper room from John 13 to John 17, believing into, believing into. And so the challenge is to all, are all of you really knowing Jesus Christ? You come here regularly. You sit under gospel ministry here or somewhere else. You listen to the word of God. You read the Bible each day. You um, have a little scheme and you follow it, and you think about what God has said to you, and then you respond to what you've heard. There's a time 
in your life, when you are confronted with Jesus Christ, when you're invited to believe upon him, there's a time in your life where your unbelief is rebuked. It's time when you turn from your sin and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. There's a time for redemption, for personal salvation, for a commitment to know God as your God. A time comes. That's what we read in in the Word of God today. And so um, here is the description of a Christian. A Christian is someone who believes. Now, how does a Christian live then if you are people who believe in Jesus Christ? How do you live? Well, this is the phrase in our text, isn't it? That he that believes does not make haste. Now, that's very, very interesting. He shall not make haste. So we ask, is that a good translation of the Hebrew? And uh, you will find in a version of the Bible that's more contemporary and that other churches might use, the ESV, the English Standard Version, that is exactly the same translation as the authorized version before us. He that believeth shall not make haste. That's it. And if you know the Hebrew, I looked it up and uh, it told me it means everywhere in the Bible where, it used, where it's used, it's, it means hurrying. Hurrying here and there. A Christian shall not make haste. Shall not be in a hurry. It doesn't say will not because all of us are. All of us words slip out in a hurry. We act in a hurry without thought, all of us. So we are imperfect. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you take notice of that. And you seek to mortify wrong haste. Now, being hasty is completely neutral, isn't it? That good Things are being hasty, and there are bad things of being hasty. It's like eating or drinking or sleeping. It's human. In fact, you find the psalmist speaks to God. Psalm 70. How does it begin? Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, come on. I, I, I need help now. It's no good saying, well, next year or in the spring. Now, now is my need. Make haste, O Lord, to deliver me, to help me. Well, if it's good for God to make haste, then it is good for us at times to make haste. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to look firstly at... uh, the examples in the Bible when it's important for us to make haste. And then I'm going to look at examples in Scripture, teaching in Scripture, when we are not to make haste. So, 
Firstly, we must be quick to listen to the warnings of the Bible. That's the first thing, the warnings of Scripture. Don't delay. If there are warnings in Scripture, if God is saying, no, don't, pay heed. You know that? The red light, you break. The barrier's coming down. You don't try to beat it over the level crossing. You stop. Jesus says a day will come when he will say to many, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Not my words, the words of the Lord Christ. Important to listen to words of warning. It says on a bottle, poison. You put it on the top shelf and you close the door far away from the children. You see, on a, on a cabinet, danger, high voltage, you lock the door so the children can't play around anywhere near it. You heed it, don't you? I stand on the tube station in London, the tannoy system says, step away from the train as it approaches the platform. I don't think, well, let's see how near I can go without being hit. <laughs> Not as foolish as that. We step away. We honour the warning that's come to us to step away. God speaks to us because he loves us. He warns us, doesn't he? Like you warn your children. Now, I don't want you to be out late. I want you to be back by a certain time. We give them Warnings today. God speaks to everybody. This is a moral universe. What you sow, you're going to reap. If you are sowing to the flesh, to unbelief, to carnality, to greed and ego and lust, you're going to reap from what you are sowing. So beware of those things. Mortify. Don't feed the flesh with titbits. Um, we're going to answer to God one day. It's appointed unto us once to die. And then the great evaluation. When God calls us, what did you do with all the blessings and the good things I gave to you? And so on. So, listen to the psalmist. Psalm 119 and verse 60. I made haste. And I did not delay to keep your commandments. So here's the command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Are you making haste now to simply respond? Here I am, Lord. I don't understand a lot. But what I do know is that you're a great God and I'm a sinner and I need mercy from you. And you start to talk to God in these ways. So that's the first thing. Um, don't delay in responding to warnings from Scripture. Secondly, um, if you have good news, then you must share it. You must immediately share it. Now, there are great examples, many examples in Scripture about this. Joseph, he's a Prime Minister now in Egypt. 
and his brothers are coming and he hasn't made himself known to them and they've gone and they've brought back Benjamin and so on and um, he can't restrain his emotions any longer. And he says, I, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. You thought you'd sold me into slavery and I was dead. And no, it's me. He speaks them in their own language. Now he says, um, make haste and go to dad. And tell dad I'm alive. He's For two decades he's been broken hearted that, that I was dead, killed by an animal. Tell him I'm longing to see him. Bring him here to be with us. I look after him for the rest of his days. Hurry back to dad. Hurry, make haste. Or there was a woman who was told by a messenger from God that she was going to have a baby. She longed for a baby. And the messenger told her she was pregnant. She made haste to her husband. Her husband's name was Manoah. She said, we're going to be parents. I'm expecting. And the baby they had was, of course, Samson. She made haste with good news. There were women on the first day of the week. They went to anoint the body of Jesus because uh, the men hadn't done a good job. You know, The women were going to do it. And they get there. The stone rolled away. A messenger from heaven saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And they hurried, oh, half running through the streets of Jerusalem at dawn, knocking on the door where the apostles were, the 11 men, and saying, he's alive. Jesus has risen from the dead. Good news. An immediate hurried response. Or... The angels appeared to the shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, telling them that the Messiah was to be born. This will be a sign unto you. You find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And we are told they hurried to Bethlehem and to the place, the stable where Jesus lay. They wanted to see and they worshipped him so we're people of hope aren't we today we had oh the lovely lord's day has come and i'm going to meet with fellow christians my friends and i'm going to hear the word of god it's going to be an ointment it's going to be a, a refreshing time it's going to be an encouragement it's going to be a strength how sweet the name of jesus sounds in the believer's ear and you came along and you came, you came with such haste. Or again, then we must make it uh, a priority to search for good news. Okay, we, we, we look for it. We, we're active. We're, we're. I have a friend and I, I, I call him and he'll say to me often, well, What's the good news today, Jeff? And then I have to think. There's always some good news that I can share with someone or other. If you come here every Sunday, then you will hear wonderful news. You will hear a gospel. That means good news. That God has so loved the world that he's given his only begotten son. 
His son is Jesus Christ, and he's come into the world to seek for men and women like you and to save us, save us from pride and despair and eternal loss. He's done that because he loves us. What good news. There's no need for you to go on wondering what's it all about, what does it mean. It means what Jesus tells us it means. That there is life for a look at the crucified one. There's life this moment for you who put your trust in Jesus Christ. Good news. Seek for it. Seek for good news. You know, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he was, like we say, all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely Lord Acton said that is still true today, isn't it? How great is the fall of some men. His courtiers hated the fact that he trusted so much in a Jew, a Jewish believer named Daniel. And he was the prime minister. They wanted to get rid of him. So they appealed to the ego of Nebuchadnezzar by saying to him, we feel that no one should pray to anyone else except you. That that should be a decree. We want the country to be united in their worship of you. Well, we see nations today with its leaders, egomaniac leaders. And so it was, oh, he was very flattered, and he signed the law of the Medes and Persians, Nebuchadnezzar. And as soon as it was signed, the courtiers went to the apartment where Daniel was, burst in and found him in prayer. Not praying to Nebuchadnezzar, but facing Jerusalem and praying to Jehovah God. They dragged him before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar saw he'd been captivated and caught up. been trapped by his own egotistical attitude and he wanted to get out of it he couldn't use law of the Medes and Persians they threw Daniel to the lions we are told the next day early in the morning Nebuchadnezzar after a sleepless night got up dressed and hurried to the lion's den his servants coming with him, they took the stone and he cried out into the darkness, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest able to save thee from the lions? There was a voice that came back, O king, live forever. My God has shut the mouths of the lions. I'm alive. He went in a hurry longing for good news. Do, do you come here with expectation? Do you come here with prayerful longing? Sp speak to us, Lord, thyself reveal while here on earth we roam. What is life without words from God? Instructing, teaching, humbling, strengthening, blessing, giving us joy. Hurry, hurry. 
or again we must be in haste to do good works you know your life flies away when I was five years of age 80 years seemed an eternity I never could imagine 80 years 80 years later I want to tell you it's a moment your life flies by one life we lived will soon be past only what's done for Jesus will last Abram was uh, living in the shade of the oak trees of Mamre. Isn't that a wonderful phrase in the Bible? He was living in his tents with his servants and Sarah. And one day, three men came. In the middle of nowhere, three men came. They weren't crooks. There was something very fine about them. There was a, another worldliness. There was a purity. There was a peace. There was a holiness. There was a joy. There were men you would love to know. Abram went up to them straight away. He told them, he says, oh, sir, um, you're here. You, you know where to stay. You're most welcome to stay with me. And the men agreed. And then he hurried, we are told, to the servants. And he said, make fresh bread. He wanted to feed them. And then when they ate together that night, he stood behind them and helped them and brought them water to drink and wine and foodstuffs. He was there. He hastened. What opportunities we, we miss to do good works. I love Christmas time because you can show your affection by a little gift to your wife and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You can do that. <coughs> what a blessing it is to serve and give. Right, those are the good things that we hasten to do, four or five I've given you. Now, do not make haste. What things must we not make haste about? Very important. Firstly, we are not to be impetuous. Now, there's a great example of being impetuous in the scriptures. And the example is Esau. Esau has been out all day hunting. He's got his bow and arrow and his spear and he's trying to kill a, a, a deer or a rabbit. He's out there in the heat and he's caught nothing and he comes home and he comes, opens the door and oh, he smells. His brother's been cooking. Oh, he's ravenously hungry. He says to his brother, he says, Jacob, um, Jacob I Give me, give me something to eat. 
you can have it if you sell me your birthright, he says. His birthright is the privilege and office that he has as the older brother, the place legally and in society and in the family he has, the firstborn. I think, what's that? I'm hungry. I'm ravenous. And what's this firstborn business? Yes, I'll sell it to you. And he has his soup, his mess of pottage by an impetuous decision and he's given authority and leadership to his cunning brother. My friends, when you are emotionally disinclined, when you're going through a time of sickness or weariness or hunger and you're under pressure my friends oh don't make haste in coming to any decisions talk to Jesus about it first spread it out before him unroll it if there's an issue between you and your wife make peace ask your pastor for advice ask your elders to help you. You may meet a very sweet-talking, a sweet-talking man, and he calls you, or a woman, and she says, oh, we just, uh, we've got a new business going now. We're offering 14% uh, on um, anyone who'd like to invest. I don't know if you, if you would have some money to invest, and you have. Beware now, this sweet-talking stranger. So try us for, for a thousand, and, and so she would take the details, you give her a thousand, and it seems to be fine. And then she calls back in a month, how are things going? Yes, you're happy, yes. Why not try 10,000? 10, 10, be careful. A lot of work and savings from your parents and you. Be careful. Don't be impetuous. You've been lonely for a long time and then this man comes into your life and he gives you gifts. Marry in haste, repent at leisure. Much better to be single and happy than locked in an unhappy marriage. You remember how Sarah made haste. God had promised that she would have a baby. That she and her husband would have someone who would be great and there would be a line and all the world would be influenced by them. And the years go by and she's 90 and no baby. And then she has this impetuous idea, take my servant Hagar, she says, take her, take her. Sleep with her until she gets pregnant and then we'll have a baby. And he foolishly agrees. And it is a total disaster emotionally in the home and in the future of the baby and that line that comes. Don't be impetuous, please. If there's a certain weakness in your character that makes you act first and think afterwards, mortify it. 
Don't be in haste. Secondly, no shortcuts in evangelism. No shortcuts at all. Salvation is of the Lord. Its conception is divine. Its continuance is divine. Its consummation is it's all divine. He begins a new work and he completes that new work. I had three daughters. I couldn't sit them down. Larry, Catherine, Fleer. Say, now, repeat this after me. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is there. I trust him now as my Savior. I trust him now as my Savior. Amen. Now, you've been converted. You've been converted. That is evangelical child abuse. Don't you get involved in the assurance business? God gives assurance. God must save, and God alone must save. And you can't do things to make people church members by what you say and what you do. You can't do it. We are not born of man, are we? Or the will of man or the will of the flesh. We must be born of God. This is his grand prerogative. In that honor, none shall share. Salvation is of the Lord. You, you, you've got to go and you've got to say, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, I come. I put my trust in you. You know, there's a great... Christian leader, a woman in America today called Rosaria Butterfield. And she's written a book. She was a lesbian who was the professor of English at Syracuse University. And she, uh, she had some research to do and she called a minister in, in the town of Syracuse, Ken Smith. I don't know why she chose him particularly, but she called him and she asked him some questions and he answered her very wisely and helpfully and she called him again. And he answered and he spoke to her and they formed a nice relationship. She didn't know that he was praying for her every day, he and his wife. It was two years before he invited her to church. By that time, they, she trusted him, and she liked him, and she was the recipient of answered prayer. And she came, she felt at home, and she never stopped coming. And she was delivered from her lesbianism. She married um, a pastor whom I know, and she's written these books now about deliverance from sexual impropriety and help and speaks and is hated and speaks faithfully for her saviour. We wait, don't we? We, we? we don't hurry. You know that with your children. Oh, I've got grandchildren and uh, how I, I love them, three of them. And not walking with the Lord. Six of them are. And oh, 
remember you you're just the same we all have people in our family we can't decision them but we can bring them and without ceasing to god for his salvation do you remember how satan tried to make jesus harry do you remember this now he speaks to him at the beginning of his ministry and he says to him, um, well, how's it going? How many have you got now serving you? Yeah, you've been 30 years here, yes. And uh, what you've been doing? Uh, I've been making shelves and props and fences and tables. You got any followers? I got it 12. Let me tell you now how you can get a crowd. See all these stones? You just say a word and they become bread. And, and you, you can feed. And they never have to work again. You, they've got free food for the rest of their lives. Oh, they'll follow you then. Or you can walk up to the top of the temple on a busy day with everyone standing below and you can jump off, and God will send a squadron of angels that will catch you and let you down to the ground. They'll go wild, do it every day. They'll come from all over the world to watch the things you do. That's the way. Or you can serve me, and I can give you the kingdoms of the world. He lied. And Jesus said, it's written. That's more important than your wild promises. It is written, man shan't live by bread alone. You shall worship the Lord thy God, and only him shall you serve. Get thee behind me, Satan. No shortcuts to church growth. You've got to do what you continue to do so well. Welcome people, care for people, pray for people. Keep this pulpit for Bible-believing preaching. Look to God for a leader to be raised up to come and pass to you. All the things you do so well and are concerned about. That's the future. Crying mightily to God that he will help. That's the future. Living credible, godly lives. Again, um, there are no shortcuts to Christ-likeness. There's no secret at all about it. You know, you can talk to some people, they say, loosen your jaw and then see what sounds come out. Uh, and then you find yourself speaking in tongues. Then you're not just a Christian, you're a super Christian. You're a baptized with the Holy Spirit Christian. That's the way. That's a way to live the Christian life. Oh, that it were so. Go to a gospel church on Sundays and listen and sing and inquire. Read the word of God. Seek help from God every day to live credible, godly lives. Every opportunity God gives you, share your faith with others. Don't stop praying. Ask 
for a recommendation of good books that you can read. Be faithful in little things. The Bible says a lot about little things, about writing thank you letters, about uh, starving to death sins that beset us. Every one of us has got some weakness that we are so conscious of. We fight it always, always. The sins of my youth, I still fight them today in my old age. When Jesus starts a work in us, he doesn't do half a work. If he starts a work in us, then he'll pick us up and he'll rebuke us and he'll encourage us and he'll tell us of his love for us. And he'll go on and on doing that all through our lives. He'll do that. And sometimes you will be able to look back and you can say, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statues. I learned a lot from my falls and my weaknesses. I did that. Or again, learn contentment. That's the great antidote to be hasty, being content with the good, unacceptable, and perfect will of God. Paul says, I have learned in whatever state there's no possibility of any combination of factors coming into my life that's going to take my contentment from me. If I've been beaten unjustly and I'm in the stocks in a stinking dungeon cell, I'll there also raise my voice in praise to you, my God. Rejoice always in the Lord, he'll say. Paul didn't pick up that contentment on the road to Damascus. There's every evidence to suggest that before he was converted, he was irritable and dynamic. That didn't vanish overnight. But he learned. He learned. He was in a prayer meeting, perhaps, and uh, an old Christian was there, and he said, let's... Study before we pray Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not be in want. Now this God is going to supply all our needs richly. We shouldn't be restless. We shouldn't be crying. We shouldn't be discontented with where we are. What's happening with our health or financially or with the country or with our local church. We, we, we must be contented. Paul learned that lesson that day. He learned it. I'm saying to you then this morning as I close that uh, God will never ask you to do something in a sinfully hasty way. He will ask you to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And you have to live between those two Tensions. But our Saviour is building his church. He must be content at that. And all whom he calls, he glorifies. Our Saviour was never in a hurry. He had time for people. He had time for children. He had time for women, for mothers, for Samaritans. He 
had time for his enemies. He was polite and firm as he spoke to them. He was forgiving for his disciples when they sinned dreadfully. He had time, and you have time, to live your life. Time to forgive. There's a time to live a Christ-like life in the midst of a fallen world. It'll soon be over. No more suffering, no more heartache, no more tears, no more diseases. That's what lies before us. This is a little sample to the great glory that lies before us. God has promised he will supply all our needs. God has promised many things. You know, Isaiah 28 leads to Isaiah 30. And in Isaiah 30, there's a text there, it's verse 15, and I had it on a, a little plastic card, and it was, it was on my desk when I was a student in 1958, and I had it for years. And Isaiah 30.15 says, In quietness and confidence shall be your trust. In quietness and confidence. That, that's, that's God's, God's at work. God's in charge. God has brought this about. God will bring good out of it. Like what I do, you don't know now, but you, you will know. Heaven won't be a place of frustration where you're wringing your hands saying, why, 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 forever and ever. It won't be like that. He will give us perfect peace in the great day. Well, my friends, what a challenge. And it should be, shouldn't it? If we're going to heaven and if we are Christian men and women, then it's, it's time for us to be challenged and say, I need grace. I need my Savior to be with me. I need the Holy Spirit that I can do what he asks me for, the possibility that he'll give that very thing. And if you are hasty in blurting out things, he'll help you to kill it. And if you make decisions and regret it, he'll forgive you and help you next time. That's the wonder of having a wonderful counsellor as our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless your word to us now, we pray. Give us great encouragement to believe that if this is what you've commanded, there's a promise built into that command that this is what you're going to do. You're going to deliver us from haste, but make us all so hasty to do good works. Listen to the warnings. Search for the good news. Help us, we pray. We are weak, but you are mighty. Hold us in your powerful hands. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, here's a hymn that just underlines all I've tried to say. It is number 689. <clears throat>